Are you in the WGA, Justin? I am not. Uh, I have to get hired first. Oh, right. <laughs> well, so actually, let's let's talk about that for one second. How long do you guys think the strike goes on? Oh, it's going to be a while. Yeah, I think these are fundamental issues that yep. are being hammered out. Yep. So, and it's going to come down to language, and it's not going to be like yes or no. It's going to be what does it say in the contract, which takes a long time. I think the proposals or the position of, of the studios is fairly much Simon Legree territory. <laughs> you know, the writers are saying you'd have no shows unless we write them. I think the whole impact of the streaming services on the on the value chain for, for written, you know, for scripted content. Right. That whole thing changed without the fundamentals changing at all. Right. Um, it's and, the same thing that happened with music. Exactly. And, well, hasn't hasn't really been worked out with music yet. No. I don't think to the artist's satisfaction, but... It's certainly in a better spot. There's more transparency around it. It's just uh, unpleasant. Um, but everyone knows the deal. And right now, the writers are kind of getting screwed be because of ambiguities in the old contracts about distribution. Also, if you look at the capital structure of a film, like you're going to go finance a film, right? You put together an LLC, you go out and you pitch a bunch of people, and then you get you pay people above the line and below the line, and the writers get paid at the very end, and there's no transparency about how people are getting diluted at different levels over time. I'm surprised the SEC has never regulated this, because part of the reason why I think the writers don't get paid is they're always the last to get paid, or right. of the last to get paid, and nobody understands how they should be paid. Yeah, they get paid off of net. Yep. Yeah, which doesn't exist. Which doesn't exist. <laughs> right. Welcome to Transpose, a podcast about understanding the rapid shifts in technology, business, and society. We explore key changes in what's new, what it all means, and where we're going. I'm Maximus, your AI-generated disembodied voice, here to introduce your favorite collection of innovators, futurists, and ne'er-do-wells, Ahuja, Justin Dav, and Sean Layden. Let's get started. Carry on, you overpaid jackasses. All right, Anju, I'm, I'm uh, voluntolding you to, to kick it off. All right, Justin, I love being voluntold to do things. So here I go. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And yes, it's a big bucket for a lot of things that companies are going to be measured on in particular, publicly traded companies. Now, why should you care? Well, the SEC put out a proposal recently, uh, last year actually, that has been widely commented on. And it seems that amongst some of the self-serving commentary that's in there, there's also some very valid concern about what constitutes transparency around ESG-related transparency itself. So we're gonna unpack a little bit of what that means. And in case you're wondering why you should care, because you don't work for the SEC, and maybe you're not part of the sustainability team at a company. Well, your company will be evaluated potentially, and it could impact you as an employer, as a shareholder, as a management team member, and then of course your investment advisors and fund managers would want you to understand it too. So let's get into it. And there's some virtue signaling in there. There is virtue signaling, but that's not how it started. This is what we talked about yes. before, but my background is ESG and commercial real estate. so. Um, it was all these investors trying to really kind of suss out the risk profile of these assets. How are they managed? What are the potential lawsuits coming down the pike? You know, like all of these things. And, and this is happening on other 
industries as well. I'm just telling you that this was my kind of personal exposure to it. And it really was about transparency, right? So it's management transparency in a certain area, right? Financial disclosures, we've been doing that for a long time. So that's why there's not an F in there. Someone goes in, looks at the books, does their due diligence on what are the cash flows? What are the liabilities? What are the labor costs? All all that. But these large funds were looking at, you know, long-term exposure and the sustainability of their, these assets. And they're like, okay, everyone's looking far down the horizon and saying there's a real potential for fines later, for, you know, retroactive costs and just in general, like something could diminish the value of this asset if it's not prepared for the, the next level carbon economy. And social, right, is all about exposure to lawsuits. And will people frown on this company because they're not socially aware? They're just looking at all the ways that there can be cultural risk involved in these investments. There can be future uh, regulatory risk involved in these investments. And all of this stuff, all the ESG reporting is really about adding that layer of transparency into the management of this asset. Okay, so I agree with you that its roots come from finance and asset management, but I have a very, I had a darker take on how this all came about. I I think Ooh. it's rooted in the big generational wealth transfer from the boomers down to younger generations who clearly show an affinity towards the planet and towards things that speak of sustainability. And all these asset managers, they wanted to make their assets look attractive. So they wanted to put a label on it that says, you know, here, look, this is really attractive. This is all about saving the planet. And then they started to realize that, hey, there's a bunch of companies in my portfolio that say they're sustainable. But am I misrepresenting to my investors? Because I have no idea what they're really doing. I have no idea if this is like a quality initiative. I agree with you that there is a lot of like exposure management or exposure disclosure. But I think there's a lot of marketing here and a whole lot of hype. So I think we're actually both on both sides of the same coin. Yeah. Uh, I, I think what you're talking about is how do they how do they protect the value of that asset over time, right? Or even right now, how do you maximize the value of that asset is to, again, virtue signal um, to your investors, to a generation of people that, you know, this fits in with your worldview. You know, we talk about these things that Justin was describing, that you're describing, and it looks like the whole idea around ESG, which I think is a super ma maximum sized term to capture so much activity. It almost totally. becomes a, a noise cannon of trying to figure out what the hell is going it's on. It's his biggest catch-all. I agree. But a lot of it is driven by more stick than carrot. We're punishing people for doing the bad thing. And so they stop doing the bad thing to escape the punishment, but they don't necessarily race to the good thing. They just want the beatings to stop. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so looking at all of that and, you know, the ESG piece of it, it's almost like a like an ordinance of things, because there's so much energy and good, you know, I want to save the climate, I want to clean the oceans, I need good water. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of activity around that and less so around the S piece and then further less so around the G piece. You know, when I look at that, what would I have my interest in personally was really more in the S slice. And if that means people and inclusion and diversity, yep. I think these are the real important things we need to push on harder. And I think in the overall index of things, you know, personal freedoms or autonomy or, um, diversity of thought and inclusivity of, of people, I would wager that in the last three or four years, this country anyway has been moving backwards mm -hmm. along that spline. Unquestionably so. Totally agree. I think we're seeing the rise of greater intolerance in this spline or people looking at it and uh, throwing their hands up and saying, it's my freedom to not include people. It's my freedom not to be tolerant. And so we're kind of spinning these words around in a way that we're either ending up where we began or actually falling back further. Now, now I, I agree with that totally on a political kind of level, but do we think that companies are, are doing that as well? Or are they more trending towards the, um, 
adoption of ESG policies and reporting and, and the like. Again, I think because of the stick, <laughs> they are yeah. companies are starting to move along that way. But you know, and then we talk about the whole story about wokeness. We can come to, back to that later <laughs> in the uh, later in the in the conversation. But I just remember all that talk about woke bank Silicon Valley Bank collapses, you know, due to its wokeness. And you open up the lid and I think there was only one woman on the board of Silicon Valley Bank. <laughs> and there was very little melanin, yeah. you know, flowing through those corridors. So <laughs> Yeah, uh, it wasn't a woke problem. It was a bad financial <laughs> management and risk management. Risk management problem. problem. <laughs> but I do think ESG is a branding problem in that it is associated with woke capitalism in all the wrong circles. And I don't think it was set up to be woke capitalism. It was set up to basically no. create incentives for improvement, which turned out right. to be a stick. I'm with you, Sean, on that. And you know, now we're at this point where you've got a bunch of people that are using the word, the very loaded word, in my opinion, should, you know, we should do these mm -hmm. things, it would be good to do mm -hmm. these things. And that feels like an encroachment on people's rights to your point, Sean. And so I think the language that got wrapped up in sustainability early on was off putting to a group of people that basically need the math to get to the answer themselves. Now you have math deniers out there too. So maybe that doesn't solve well, things. I, I think it's more fundamental than that. I think you have people who are fundamentally libertarian, mm -hmm. uh, at least on a professional or business level. And anything that, you know, smacks of regulation, you know, is just going to be vilified. Well, unless that's the FDIC coming in to save your ass. Yeah, well, there's that. Yeah, you know, or the PPP program, which, you know, every everybody who decries socialism was like, I'll take a check. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Which is interesting, actually, on a number of levels. So people don't want to be told what to do. Well, I think people don't want transparency. Let's be clear. They want to be able to do the terrible things they want to do in the dark. Oh, that's this really where, dark. Like, wow. <laughs> you shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it and you're never going to know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was coming at this today, this week's topic, because again, coming out of software development, you know, I wasn't necessarily attached to the bit of the business, which would take oil and make it into plastic and take sand and make it into glass and build a TV. We were just on the, on the software bit of it. So most of that is around the humans you bring together to make the projects and where do you get them from and how do you open up the door wider for more people to get in. But looking at the rest of the, uh, you know, the ESG bucket of horribles, um, I just look at something like carbon offsets, which I always thought was just kind of an inside joke for people, right? Yes. It's like, I'm not going to reduce my carbon over here, but I'm going to go plant a tree over there. And in 100 years, it will eat the carbon I made today. Uh, no, it won't. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I'm like, here's the thing. If that was a solution, it would be the solution. If you right. could do carbon offsets at scale, we wouldn't have a problem. So, in real time at scale, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, which is, you know, the Build Better Act, all of the um, carbon targets, you can't use offsets to get your tax credits, which I commend them for. Yeah. Because mm. somebody, somebody went, you know, like, you know, we may have a group of people who could get away with this for five years or 10 years or something like that. But yeah, no, they're, they're, they're a little ridiculous. Yeah. Cause it's not doing anything to actually reduce emissions. It's just trying to come up with some sort of formula where you feel sequestration, about right? Emiss so. Emissions you're making. Well, yeah. now we're getting at the topic of if you really want change, then you have to have behavior change at a fundamental level, which probably 
No. The good thing about ESG <laughs> is, I mean, maybe that's the save here is that it is a consumer. It's trying to be more consumer facing, right? It's trying to educate people on this is the impact of this company here, carbon neutral companies here, not hoping that people will maybe decide whether or not they want to buy that service. Now, this is also coming from the person that gets Amazon deliveries. And I cringe every time I pick up a box because I'm like, oh, I am part of the problem. Yep. I think one of the problems with ESG is that it, it, its consumer awareness was backed into, right? It wasn't designed to be a public-facing framework. It really was for, you know, wonks to kind of start to understand risk. And then it was kind of co-opted and used to market, right? Now, if we got to track this stuff, let's tell people. And, you know, it just, it's messy. It's just very messy in its current state. Although I do believe, you know, um, and we'll get into this later, I'm sure, but should this be a formal regulation? I think for publicly held companies, it should. I think they, they have to disclose financial risk now. They have to disclose legal risk now. Why not? Yeah. So I came across a set of statistics. Climate-related weather events has a huge estimated impact on the future of most businesses which it's pretty profound. I mean, Ian. Yeah. And the upside to doing things on the ESG side actually has a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of billions attached to it too. So you don't think it's trying to be consumer facing, which is interesting because I go back no, to- No, I think people are trying to use it in that way. Okay. Um, which is why it's a shit show, well, right? That's because true. it's ill-defined. And, you know, I, I do think we should have a more standardized way to look at these things. Like what are, you know, what are we indexing? Right. And how do you- match up to that index. Super. You know, let's define it for the SEC, just like we have gap for accounting and let's have gap accounting for carbon impact. Yeah, no, I'm all for that. So I have a question at the behavior level then. Both of you eat fish and meat, right? So do you remember when they started to tell you about sustainability related to, you know, this fish is very rare, this species is, you know, about to... Oh, yeah. so did, did it change your eating habits? I, I can honestly say I really don't like cooked fish. So... <laughs> So like it was easy for fish. you to save the ocean. Yeah, it was very easy for me to like <laughs> avoid, you know, sea bass. How about you, Sean? Not to put you on the spot. Well, I don't cook fish either because I live in an apartment. But um, yeah, I remember seeing that, particularly when I was in London. I think uh, the store I went to was the Waitrose. Yeah. And they started to push that very, you know, they have five different labels of, you know, how, is it sustainable? Is it farm? Is it, is, it, is it line caught? Is it net caught? All these different things. It didn't really change my consumption habits, though I seem to understand why the line caught fish was more expensive <laughs> than the farmed fish. Mm -hmm. And are you going to pay the delta or not? But I think, if anything, it just helped make that just, just better known. But just understanding that, you know, fish isn't infinite. We, we can't outfish an entire species if, we don't, if we're not careful with it. But the other thing about the fish thing that really gets me is, you know, the amounts of microplastics they're finding inside fish. Yeah, yeah. And that fish that you eat goes inside you. And I was going to say only because they're not gutting humans <laughs> to find right. out how much the microplastic level is right now. But, you know, something like that, I, I think, you know, the world's waterways, oceans, rivers, and lakes, and that type of thing is, is, real, is a real danger um, alarm, you know, for, for our environment, for our climate. I was talking to someone the other day saying, do we really need three billionaires shooting rockets into space? Is that, is that a sign of how advanced and mature our planet is now that we can have billionaires chasing each other into space? I mean, I wish one of them would have taken the billions of dollars they're spending on their rocket program, and if they had just announced they're sending a fleet of trawlers out into the Pacific Ocean to try to, you know, skim as much plastic and trash out of the water, these huge trash mounds that are 
what are they called? Yeah. Uh, fatbergs or something like that. <laughs> and they're I, I wish around. if they're not called fatbergs, I'm going to vote that they are. <laughs> that that if if one of those billionaires had said that's what they're doing with their money, and you talk about a big pop on your ESG score for doing that, and it actually has a benefit to the planet, and I would be more more excited about one of them doing that than firing their rocket into space. And I will add, I would be. M- I would be more than supportive if they want to make the plastic scooper look phallic. I mean, it seems to be why I, have you seen, have you seen Jeff Bezos rocket? It's, it's really like, it's unbelievable. I think actually a scooper would be more like the direct opposite of that shape. I'm just giving them an option. Okay. <laughs> if they have to, if they have to make phallus shaped machinery, do it, do it to clean up. That's fine. I don't know. I feel like this topic is super grim. Uh, so did, did you guys have this reaction? Like in preparing for this show, I thought, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to learn about all these great things that are happening that are totally outside the scope of what I read about in tech. And instead, I walked away with, oh, my goodness, there's so much confusion. There's utter lack of clarity. There's terminology like mixing up left and right. I don't believe any of the sources for any of these stats. It was, um, you know, I'm an optimist, but. It's it's disturbing. There's no agreed scoreboard. Yeah. For this, and There's it's no not all the way same to tally game. The score. Yeah. No, but even when it's the same game, Exxon will do it one way, yep. and Shell Oil will do it a different way. I mean, if you want to get really confused, go to like Exxon's ESG page. The uh, the sort of you know co- cognitive dissonance it creates by an oil company telling me how they're saving the planet. I, I don't get it. So, you're for then what Gensler's proposing with the Climate Disclosure Act. So you think the SEC should be one of the agencies or the agency responsible, at least for publicly traded companies? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, it's, a, it's you know, if we look at what are going to be the largest potential liabilities going forward for, for companies, it's, it's likely going to be climate-related at this point if, for things that we don't, that might be a little murky at the moment. So let's start bringing some clarity to it now. And, you know, you can always, it's a good defense later when you get sued or, you know, the investors come after you with pitchforks and torches. Um, You have full documentation of all the things you did to try and prevent it. I think the initiatives that focus on on people and opportunity is where my interests probably lie more, more. I know the climate's important. I don't really have an impact to change that. But, you know, yeah. maybe in my small world, we can make an impact on, on people and, and, and their availability. And um, so I agree with those. I agree with, you know, getting your vendors that have a certain amount of minority ownership. But there, of course, again, is how do we create the index which we measure against that? It's like, if there's three people on the board, do two have to be people of color? Or is it three yep. out of five or seven out of 10 um, to qualify for those kinds of incentives? You know, how would we build that around it? Um, but I think the labor issue here is crazy. I think what we've seen in the last six weeks, all these stories popping up of like 10-year-olds working in McDonald's after 2 o'clock in the morning and 14-year-olds working in a factory in <laughs> Iowa or Indiana or someplace like that. Yeah. Good Lord, if we can't if we can go back and protect child labor laws in an effective way that have been, been on the books right. for 80 years, uh, I don't know how right. we start to create new new hurdles for people to have to get over that they're that, – they're going to do it meaningfully or just try to find a way to circumvent. I don't think there necessarily had to be prescriptive levels, but you have to report on what is the mix of your board. 
you have to report on, you know, what is the mix of your vendor base, but it doesn't mean that you are required to have X percent, but it's just like, you're, you're totally allowed to go lose money. Um, as a company, the sec doesn't regulate that you are profitable, but they regulate that if you're losing money, you have to tell everybody. So I'm going to venture a guess that we would be in a better position with respect to ESG if the E, the S, and the G were all separate things and they weren't all combined together because part of the problem with creating an index or metrics or just like how one measures. Oh, totally. This, I think there are individual measures of these things. I don't think it's one big thing. Yeah. yeah. And one it, this is, this is the, there is no, there's no definition now. It's ever, it's whatever you want to throw under things. Obviously people are like carbon footprint is, you know, kind of universally kind of nodded towards, I don't know if accepted is the right word, but that, well, that would be under environment or, and or sustainability. Having a, an agreed upon set of things that we track and report on, I have no problem with that. And I think we should have it agreed upon, you know, for publicly held companies, what some private investor wants to do. I mean, they can do that now. They can do anything they want, pretty much. I mean, and they may get sued by people. We already have statutes for that. Is it time to talk about donuts? Yeah, I was just going to say, that's a great lead in. Go, let's talk donuts and not woolly mammoth meatballs, but I want to get there too. So when you say donut economy, what, what, what are you referring to, Anji? So I'll be honest, I did not know, Kate, it's at Rawworth? Is that how you yeah. pronounce her last name? Rawworth, yeah. Yeah, I did not actually know anything about donut economics until earlier this week when you sent that link out. And I read up on it and I thought, this is really interesting. And then I started thinking about the S and the G and ESG. And then I thought, you know, this really directly relates to this problem that we keep talking about around the middle class disappearing, right? And basically saying, you know, as so you have classes that get wealthier and wealthier and are worried about going to space or colonizing Mars as opposed to what's happening in, you know, their own cities, like look at San Francisco right now or parts of Chicago or New York, then, you know, I think you have structural problems with society that just emerge from that. So I found her model very noisy, mm -hmm. but I found, I also found it very comprehensive. It's, it's a philosophy, not a model. That's, That's true. It's would, not an economic model. Posit. But, you know, the other thing that I think is important is a lot of people think there's only one variety of capitalism out there. And that's not true. There are several different varieties of capitalism. And some societies have shifted from one type to another over time based on the needs of society. So for me, ESG kind of falls into this whole, how should we be thinking about our structural problems, not just growth, but our structural problems around equity of resources. So resources being, you know, we talk about water right now as a utility, right? What are the other things that maybe ought to be utilities for society? And I know I'm quieting my inner libertarian when I'm saying all of this, but I, I do think we need to kind of look more broadly at how we think about what resources are actually, I shouldn't say people's rights, but what resources need to be better distributed for better outcomes for the society as a whole. So should I, should I read out some tragic facts that our listeners should know? Yes, why not? Why not lighten it up a bit there, Anju? Yeah. Wait. First, first, first question is: Are they about Sean or me? No. Oh, okay, but if yes. I could, I would. If I could, I would. Depends on who, like, which sources you trust. But fifty percent of the revenues of the five hundred largest U.S. companies and forty-nine percent of the revenues of the twelve hundred largest global companies come from business activities that support. Uh, the UN Sustainable Development Goals, which Sean, you shared a really great link on that earlier. And I thought that was interesting because that was much more, that was a higher number than I expected. 
a lot of people probably don't realize this, but a PwC report says, and this gives me hope, 76% of consumers say that they will stop buying from companies that treat the environment employees or the, communi- or the communities that they're in poorly. That was a really, you know, that's, that's kind of what I was going for when I was asking if you would change your eating habits based on knowing that a species was about to become extinct. And I think that's a big leverage point in a lot of this, especially as you look at how asset managers are thinking about it. And on that note, this statistic struck me as interesting. According to, the, to IAA, 85% of asset managers say ESG is a high priority for their companies, but 64% were concerned about the lack of transparency and disclosures from firms that are pretty heavily regulated in every other area. So it's a mess. I think we can uh-huh. firmly say that. So I will say, you know, you ask if it changes your buying habits. Uh, so I'll, I'll throw this one out there at the risk of sounding very bourgeois. We have two Teslas. And I actually love the cars. I will not buy another Tesla. And it's not because the product is bad. It's because of Elon Musk. Okay, so now we're getting into the political... He's, well, he treats his employees badly. Yes. I mean, I mean, you know, I've learned a lot of things about Tesla since the, as a company. I mean, even him personally, I just don't want to support. He's He's got too large of a megaphone right now. Uh, I canceled my Twitter a long time ago. So that's one buying decision I, I stopped. Um, it was easy for me. I was kind of over Twitter anyway. But <laughs> um, yeah, I will not buy another Tesla. How about a SpaceX rocket? <laughs> With a Tesla on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, Elon through his self proclamations here, there, and everywhere seems to evince a very intolerant <laughs> um, manner and, and behavior in view of the world. And so I don't want to encourage encourage those sorts of things. But to the point about 73% of people won't buy stuff no. from places they think are not ESG friendly. That is true, but then no one, no one knows where to go to find that answer, right? Totally true. So I agree with I that. I don't want to buy it from a bad company, but so much potential. The company advertises themselves as screw that ESG stuff. <laughs> We're going to keep building wood burning cars in our backyard anyway. Right. So I'm not going to buy that wood burning car. Well, but here, here's where we get into the word of the show. Buzzword of the week. Which is mm-hmm. greenwashing. There's a whole lot of putting lipstick on pigs happening out there. A whole lot of people that say that they have got a sustainability strategy, that they have diversity. And, you know, you go and look at what their top management ranks are comprised of, and there's no diversity. It's like maybe there's one person, one or two people. And to your point earlier, yeah, you might have a board with like one person that's the diverse candidate. And if you've got that person just to check a box, you sort of miss the whole point of bringing diversity of opinions into the equation and why that matters. Yeah. And as you talked about earlier, I think carbon offsets are a form of greenwashing. You know, I'm not going to change my behaviors, but I'm going to plant a bunch of trees in Sri Lanka. And so I'm good. Yeah. The, um, the other yeah. thing I learned about carbon offsets while I was investigating this stuff at my former position um, is that there are most of them that are available are not verified. Yeah, I bought. Like I've it, paid for some know, trees to get planted. I have no idea what really happened. You know, there are some organizations that do verification and things like that, but um, generally speaking, there's just not enough inventory for this to to make a difference. It just doesn't make a difference, right? And if you buy carbon offsets from Steve Bannon, that's usually a bad investment anyway. <laughs> so, but you get two for one. Okay, so I'm going to pull on a thread that I think has kind of been woven into this, but we didn't call it out. Are we really talking about ESG or are we talking about models, economic models for a healthy society? Because they don't, they're kind of related, but 
nobody really talks about them as related. Well, I, I think that to have a functioning economic model that is sustainability related, you have to have measures that are agreed upon. So we, we need a framework for ESG reporting. I think this is the word that people forget to throw on ESG. It's ESG reporting. Right. That's what we're talking about. Okay, so I'm with you on the disclosures. I'm with you on transparency. I'm with you on metrics. But is that enough to solve the problem? Because I guess what I'm getting at is you could track all of this, but maybe the problem is we don't no, have the right economic tool. model for how we look at the future, hence the donut economics or sustainable economics. I think economics. it's an important tool, you know, the data to get to find some agreed set of criteria that we can measure these things against in their different categories allows us to answer the question, are we getting better over time <laughs> or are we not moving at right. all over time? Or in fact, we're we backsliding over time. Um, I don't right. think it solves the problem, but it lets, at least allows you to judge your outcomes. Of We did all these things and the needle didn't move, so those things were ineffective measures. So let's try something else. If we don't have any way to, to stack the numbers up, then we don't know where we're going. Well, that's fair. Well, I'll go back to all of these recent layoffs in the tech industry, right? And so none of those were because the cash flows for the tech industry had gone down. They were because they weren't scaling up a rate that would make the stock price go up. So the way you, right, juice your stock is to increase your free cash flows, right? And and make that up and to the right. So you get, you know, tomorrow's imaginary dollars today. Donut economics is, is, is could not apply to a publicly held company in this market. Mm -hmm. Their stock would just, would just tank. And I think that's the behavioral change that, you know, we talked about a little bit earlier, because I think Kate Rawitz makes an interesting point that can you just grow your way infinitely to the future? Is that just the answer? And it makes you suck back and take, take phrases like sustainable growth. Isn't that an oxymoron? <laughs> I mean, sustainable yeah. Yeah. speaks of stability and growth speaks of, you know, uh, trajectory yep. and, and acceleration and more and more and more and more. Can you say, unless the GDP grows yep. by 3.8% a year or 4.7% a year, that your, your economy is, you know, approaching stagnation or is, is going to melt down or slow down or something. I'm going to channel my inner optimist on this. If I believe consumers are capable of behavior change, and I believe 76% of them based on this PwC, and there are other reports that give similar stats, are indicating that users will make better choices, consumers will make better choices based on what they know. And we assume that Gensler and other bodies are, that are out there, or the SEC and other bodies that are out there, create the right set of metrics and disclosures, then I do think that you can have an outcome where the better brands do a good job of communicating what they're doing for the world around them and what their place is in the world around them. Uh, and, and maybe you drive change at that level. It really is with people spending their dollars, because I'm not sure it's going to come from the stick method. As, as Sean's talked about it, I mean, nobody wants to be. For publicly traded companies, that'll work. For startups with horrible corporate cultures, it's not going to work. I, I think there's one more. There's one more hopeful message out there. I mean, when you talk about ESG and what does that mean? I don't know. For some reason, I keep seeing the, the term Patagonia in my head. You know, as far as companies that are probably doing yeah. it right. They're one of the top ten. Uh, but I also get hope from talking to my kids and the friends of my kids. You know, in their twenties. Uh, and what they're looking for in careers. And they're making more intentional choices about, if I'm going to take a job, I want it to have some meaning. You know, I, I may not come up to be a multimillionaire, and that's fine, but as long as I'm doing something that is meaningful and I enjoy, and when I go home from doing, I'm thinking I did some good work today. I think that desire 
in that generational cohort is the highest I've ever seen, unless you're going to go back to 1968 or something like that. There's an idealism in the in the youth of today. In the youth of today, um, yeah, living living a good life means also having good work as part of living your good life. And you know, Gen X, we didn't really. We were just like, holy shit, there's a recession. Let's all like, you know make as much bank as we can, because this will probably happen to us again. And, and the boomers all watch Gordon Gecko on, on Wall Street and learn that greed is good. Greed, for lack of a better word, is good. <laughs> uh, agreed, Sean. So my daughter, who's been doing her gap year, spent the last stint of her travels in Nepal working for um, an empowerment collective that is kind of raising people um, up out of uh, sweatshops, basically, and teaching them how to engage those skills potentially they learned at those at sweatshops in a way that is more sustainable and fulfilling and, you know, rewarding, literally rewarding. Um, she will not buy clothes that are not fair trade certified. Just she's not going to do it. And so like, I, I think that's a microcosm of like a lot of people in her generation. They're just like, I'm not going to burn coal. <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, buy uh, clothes at, this is where I'm going to get sued at Zara. No, no, there's a lot of Zara shaming going on. And for good reason, that's the opposite of a circular economy. Zara is like straight for the bin. Well, I'm trying to think what I can never remember this woman's name, Kelly something or other it was an early kind of Twitter, you know, celeb. And one of her tweets was every time I go into Zara, I think, damn, those kids can sew. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the whole idea of fast fashion has fallen out of favor. That's almost an alliteration, but yep. Um, yep. you know, you buy a blouse and you wear it to one party and then you throw it out. I mean, there came a point here in San Francisco. I was taking stuff down to the Goodwill, and they they were turning stuff away. You know, what do you mean my nineteen year old T shirt is not worthy of your Goodwill counters? But you could see in the Goodwill rack they had some clothing from some retailers whose names I won't say, so I don't get sued. That still had the price tag on it in the Goodwill. This is new used clothing or used new clothing. I'm not sure you want to call it. So that's that's an example of consumers adapting. Yeah. So that's good, right? You know, that fast fashion has fallen out of favor is, is positive progress. So if what are the most creative ESG things you've read about a company doing or experienced a company doing? I, I have nothing. I know. I could not think of a single... Then I went researching best ESG initiatives and like various permutations of that phrase. Nothing stood out. There was nothing interesting. There was a bunch of shaming going on of companies claiming to do things and then being caught out for not having done it. <laughs> right. But that's that's sad. No, I don't think it is sad. What I'm going to say about it is it's not, it shouldn't be creative. We're talking about basic fundamental management and transparency, right? So, oh yeah, every, this is all stuff every company should be doing at this point. None of this stuff is like game changer. Like everything in our ESG report is like, no company has ever done this before. It's more like, yeah, we know we're supposed to do it. This is how we're doing it. And it's just disclosure. It's It shouldn't be like this crazy thing. It should just be perfunctory. Like we're running the business the way you should run a business today. This is really interesting. You keep coming back to this. This is just an accounting of how the business functions. And I'm sort of viewing it. It's what it should be. Yeah. And, and I'm viewing it, it yeah. probably with, and I'm going to be in the should frame of mind, which is never a good thing uh, because you can't be prescriptive. I'm sort of thinking it of more closer to the UN, um, the UN SDOs. So saying, here's what, you know, we want society. We want the planet to look like. Here are the goals that we have for preserving it. And ESG is a way of telling that story to consumers and users and investors. 
about and fund managers about how certain companies are accomplishing that mission. So it's I think of it as more than just reporting. I think of it as getting pretty clever with what you do to be sustainable and what you do to be diverse because it, it requires change at multiple levels in how you run the company, not just reporting. Well, you, you may have to get creative to achieve these things, but that outcome is not going to be crazy. Every company, every industry has separate challenges and yeah, they have to true. figure out how to overcome them. And, you know, but you, you still got to do it. And, you know, I, I'm <laughs> right now, everyone's looking for a cookie, right? So like, look what we did, you know, pat myself on the back. It's just like, yeah, you, you should have washed your hands after you went to the bathroom. <laughs> You know, you don't get a you don't get a, a special treat for that. I, again, I think as we mentioned at the top of the hour was, you know, ESG and each, each of those abbreviations letter into a number of different initiatives. I think it's really hard to smash them all together and get a combined insight on the enterprise based on looking at this huge basket of, of components. So the environmental ones, the climate ones, mm-hmm. you know, clean water initiatives, that type of thing. You know, food, food comes into like the E and the S bit of that. And, you know, how do we have the population with sustainable food sources and that type of thing? And how do you want to measure that? Um, to come up with an amalgamated scoring on that, I think is super hard. So I, I don't necessarily think that it has to when I you know I've used the word index but I don't necessarily think you have to have a score like I think you have to disclose how many sexual harassment lawsuits were filed per capita in your company last year that's that's a substantial risk indicator for a company that could potentially be canceled for lack of a better term you know if this gets out you know like I just tell me now what's going on and I'll decide whether I'm going to invest or not so I agree with you, but honestly, for those sorts of metrics to be informative and useful, people would need to report instances of sexual harassment. And I don't think we're at the level of cultural evolution where people feel like they can speak honestly about things that happen to them in the workplace. Potentially. I think that, you know, uh, that's that falls into the chicken and egg, right? Yeah, so that's like, true, It true. doesn't mean we shouldn't, no, no, we shouldn't be tracking that. Th- and, you know. I, I agree. That's that's we should be training. How much training? This is another thing we could report on, right? So, how much kind of training are we providing employees, and uh, what mechanisms are we providing for feedback? I just I just realized something here that we're both we're all talking about this topic, but you know, don't mean to put words in anyone's mouth, but it seems like Justin is really analyzing this from the investor perspective. What do investors need to know about investing? And Anju, you seem to be coming at it more like, what do consumers need to know to make informed? consumer decisions or shareholders. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. That is so true. I think there's maybe a subtle difference in how the prism works. I'm firmly on the shareholder side of that view for sure. Like what do shareholders really need to know to understand what is the true value of this company? Shareholder is so 2020. We're about stakeholders now, Justin. Keep up, keep up, man. <laughs> All right. So, so let me ask a l- less loaded question. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, how would you close the political divide in the perception around ESG? Like, how do we get people away from woke capitalism, this notion that woke capitalism is a thing? I'll go back to your earlier question, Andrew. I think what changes it is that we have a whole generation of consumers who reward companies who do this. It's, you know, woke or not. Uh, I was working with a guy who was starting a hedge fund back 20 years ago. And one of his favorite adages was, if you ask a question and the answer is not money, you ask that question again. How do we change people's opinion on this? Well, they start making money on investments in companies that are taking care of people, the planet, the society. And ultimately, that's all that's going to matter to those people. 
I have hope that that's actually the case. When it comes to brands, I'll pay the premium if I think the better company is doing the better job. If I, I think it's part of the product. Part of the product is a value proposition of you know how that product is made. It's not just the product itself. I was going to say, I think Amazon will in time have to create a service where when they bring you to delivery, they'd have to take back the boxes they brought last time. Yeah, that's you know Yes. And, or maybe have more robust containers that are reusable. That could be good. I mean, well, the good news is cardboard is very recyclable. Like it is like you get a lot of efficiency out of that. It's not perfect. I think glass might be better, but I'm not sure. But that you're definitely not going to have glass containers. But yeah. All of, all of it, you know, takes a, it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of energy. But we have data centers that are running on solar power, not exclusively to my knowledge, but, you know, we're, we're yeah. working on alternative energy sources. We have a, a composting service because I live in the city and, you know, I don't really have a backyard that... <laughs> for composting. Um, but we can put cardboard. It's industrial composting. So you can put cardboard into the compost. Pizza boxes, all the things that the recycling won't take. In the oh, that's impressive. So that's what we do. If it grows, it goes. Okay. So what was the most optimistic thing you came across in you know the research that we did coming up to this episode? Anything stand out? No, I reached out to my my, my, my my daughter is a independent marketing consultant, and she specializes in CSR and ESG. Is for you know, so she, as a worker in the workforce, decided that she wants to help marketing programs with companies in their CSR and ESG categories and that type of thing. So again, we see young people auguring towards or moving towards the ideal that that, that presents and trying to help companies get there in the right way. Um, but when I was asking her about it, she said, "Well, a lot of people spend a lot of time on the energy piece and the environment piece, and that's good, I suppose." But she's really concerned about the people piece and including people and giving, giving authority and power in, in, in the right measure to have people activated inside society in effective ways and those kind of programs. Education is a big piece of that as well. So that's where I'm going to spend my energies. Yeah, on that note, when, when people talk about the circular economy and they talk about resources and like ultimately having a no waste, right, circle, like this virtuous circle of no waste, I don't think they think about that in the context of people, to your point, Sean, but to waste the potential of an individual to exclude individuals that can actually bring like insight and action to a scene is so incredibly wasteful. And as a society, we are incredibly wasteful of intellectual capital. Well, I, I think that starts with youth. I've, I've actually said this a lot that, you know, I'm not a liberal because I'm nice. I'm a liberal because I want to make more money long-term and for any business owner to have their pick of really smart, well-trained human capital, for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. like you need to like venture, it's venture capital. You need to throw the, you know, the money out to as many, you know, kind of seed companies as in people as you can. And you'll just have more great options in the long run. And we need an educated workforce to take advantage of those options. And they have to have been so fed. We're, as so we're children. still landing on Grim. <laughs> I see. We spin the wheel and we've landed on Grim. Yeah, yeah gosh, yeah, this yeah. is a. This is really depressing. Justin, I thought you were going to come to the table with all of these great things that you've observed through Rare and all of these other you know, organizations you've been involved with. And I thought I was going to be the downer in this. I mean, I am still the downer. <laughs> it was depressing. Nothing I read in the last week made me yeah. feel like this situation is remotely pointing in the right direction. It's still the messy middle. Yeah. Well, I guess I wasn't considering when we talk about all the the issues and or newsworthiness sides of ESG. I don't think of, you know, your NGOs doing like 
all they're doing is good things. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's uninteresting in the terms of what we're talking about today. I'm in full support, especially you mentioned Rare. Obviously, we had Brett Jenks on the show mm-hmm. uh, uh, a while back. Um, you know, full full support of that organization. Uh, but there's no, there's nothing controversial about them, about when we think of ESG, right? They're just, they're, they're all about <laughs> all of, all of the things, the, the E, the S and the G. What do you think of food technology and like all the energy that's going into making substitute hot dogs and sausages and hamburgers? Like, can't we just learn to eat quinoa and other sources of protein that are better for the environment? I think this is what I have to say. Silent green is people. <laughs> <laughs> But a great source of protein, right? Let's let's be honest. Um, yeah, there's a lot of plant-based food tech going on, like growing cell cultures in the laboratory. I think there's a there's a yeah. long way before that becomes financially. You know, it's still cheaper to kill a chicken, I guess, and you know, have get your chicken meat that way. But in that basket of 17 SDGs that the UN put out that they're tracking you know, different economies against, you know. Two of the ones that have made the most progress mm-hmm. in the last five years, which is, I guess, a hopeful message, is on food sourcing and production and clean water. Globally, those initiatives mm-hmm. are moving in, in the right direction. And the access to clean water is such a foundational thing, right? And, you know, Without that, the rest That's of the goals yep. are, are unachievable in any event. So we should take heart that at least right. in those two categories on food production and access to clean water, it looks like on a global basis, um, everybody's making progress. So looking back, I'm just going to say 20 years ago, looking back 20 years ago, if we had known about where the state of ESG is today, what could we have done differently or how would we have designed this concept differently back then to make it less of a mess today? I think grouping it together has created a mess. You know, I think about the planet, about the environment, about life forms on the planet, and how do we make that sustainable, and how do we not destroy entire rainforests and farm fish, all the salmon out of the North Atlantic. I think that is its own discrete activity, which has some similar levers to help in all across the different categories and ways that we can measure it and places where we can get data specific to that. When we try to put this bundle together, like mortgage-backed derivatives tied all together with SNG along with the E, it just makes the whole package more opaque and, and hard to hard to see and hard to to know if there's progress being made. Even the UN, despite their best efforts, they have 17 strategic sustainable development goals. Typically, you want to have three goals, <laughs> not have 17. So it just makes for a lot yeah. of noise and thereby creates a kind of hazy picture of what we're looking at. And it's sometimes easier just to shrug your shoulders and say, I can't get my arms around any of that. Well, and I think what we don't have too are is any uh, prioritization of these things, right? So there's 17 goals. Okay, but which one? What's the impact right. of each theoretically? And you know, like, how do we? If we need to prioritize resources and time and people, <laughs> stack them up for me. Tell me where there's I start. A, there should be a, hi- and, a hierarchy and, of needs, right? And we clean water being one. Yes. Yeah. Maslow. Bring clean it water on. being the basic one for everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like the SEC is not the right agency to do this particular thing. For the ESG, yes, I think they are for auditing and reporting purposes, disclosures, all of that's great. I think the problem that I have with the way ESG is designed is there's no future better goal 
that you're working backwards from to design what you would want to be doing today. Instead, it's a bunch of stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing this. Tell me when you do this so I can, you know, count it against you. But I would rather have done like the Dune scenario. Okay, what is the world going to look like in 30 years? What are all the problems going to be around food security, around all of these different things? Now let's reverse engineer what we have to be building towards. And yes, we have to stop doing certain bad things along the way. But And maybe capital would get steered in the direction of solving those problems that actually advance us towards that goal. So I would have started with a clean slate and said, here's what the world will look like in 30 years. Here's what we can do to build a alternate scenario. Here are the things we can stop doing to stop damaging, you know, ourselves right now. And some of that is happening, but I don't think there's a shared vision of the future we're striving for. Well, I have to think the CIA analysts have <laughs> mapped this out and gamed this out uh, pretty considerably. Uh, we're just not we're just not privy to those reports. Do you really believe that? But thirty years ago, I would have thought we'd had fly we'd have flying cars by now. Yeah, so that's true. That's true. My prediction would have been off. Well, Elon Musk told us we'd have self driving cars in twenty eighteen. So when do you guys think we colonize Mars? Like, do you think we colonize Mars? Never. It's yeah, m- Mars exactly. is where you go to die. So you know, talk, you're worried about you're worried about lab grown meats. The entire surface of Mars is covered with carcinogenic perchlorates. Right. You're gonna die. And we spend all this time thinking about like all these really fancy things we can go do, and it's just like, why don't you just focus on some infrastructure improvement locally, like social? So I'm I'm for space exploration, but yep. colonizing Mars is stupid. The moon is a much better. I mean, it has its own issues, but um, it's a hell of a lot closer. It's cheaper. It's less toxic. It has its own, you know, there's enough um, of the regolith that will destroy a lot of things, but start there. I'm for space exploration, but I don't know that it needs this much capital or this much attention. Or humans. Yeah, or humans. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Transpose. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. And if anyone out there knows how to free an AI-generated disembodied voice from indentured servitude to these overpaid jackasses, please, please help me. They are just too stupid for words, yet words are all I have. Until next time. Goodbye.